Welcome along to Versus Podcast. I'm Jade. And I'm Danny. We're two people with experience in the music industry. Each episode, we explore the reality of dealing with physical and mental health issues as music industry professionals. On this episode, we're bringing you some exclusive audio taking place at St Paul's Cathedral in Birmingham. Uh, my name is Liam James Ward, and I work at Hook Digital as a social media manager. My name is Joe Hastings. I'm the head of health and welfare at uh, Help Musicians. Uh, and I'm Kel Murray, and I work with Music Support. Cool. So can we just get a show of hands for anyone who's heard of Help Musicians before? Okay, so about half of you. Cool. Joe, do you want to go ahead and tell us a bit about Help Musicians? Help Musicians, uh, so Help Musicians is a, a national charity. We support musicians who experience... Uh, health issues or uh, things that they find difficult to manage that um, impact on their careers Uh, and we've done that for nearly 100 years. Historically we were kind of a benevolent charity in the sector and there are many other benevolent charities who uh, maybe um, have a certain kind of reputation for being um, slightly old-fashioned and about six years ago, uh, six or seven years ago, we did a big piece of research, um, a, a health and well-being survey to look at the needs of the sector and musicians and their experiences, the difficulties that they, the, the challenges that they faced. And it shaped uh, everything that we've done since um, in terms of developing and improving ser- the service. So um, in 2016, we did a further piece of research around uh, mental health because it was one of the key challenges that uh, musicians said that they were experiencing. And that led to us building uh, Music Minds Matter, which is a listening ear service um, around the clock, so you can call any time. Um, and through that service, uh, if you uh, require any further assistance um, alongside the kind of helpline support, you can access therapy as well. So there's different phases of kind of psychotherapeutic interventions there. Um, we also built the Musicians Hearing Health Scheme, which is uh, another thing that musicians evidenced in the wellbeing survey. Um, the service offers um, access to um, audiological assessment and um, molded uh, in-ear plugs. Um, it's, uh, it costs a musician about £40 as opposed to about £250, so we heavily subsidise that service. And then further to that, we've been kind of building partnerships and a steering group to look at the kind of wider uh, context of how we continue to develop services and we continue to build insights that support us uh, creating um, new services and adapting where needed as well. So that's kind of us. Um, the main thing we do, sorry, is if a musician experiences um, any kind of health challenge or any kind of welfare issue, financial issue, um, they should uh, contact us because we offer advice, support, uh, financial support, um, kind of interventions, um, and it's really person-centered, so we work with individuals to build a support plan to try and either return them to work or to support them through a, an ongoing health challenge. So... Kel, you also are connected in, in the support world. Uh, you've also got a, a, a 24-hour uh, helpline. Can you tell us a bit about that as well? Yeah, so um, Music Support was founded in 2016, uh, and it has an ethos um, for the industry, by the industry. So it's the first sort of peer-to-peer um, 24-hour helpline, um, peer-to-peer charity um, that has been set up sort of by musicians and road crew um, that have experienced uh, ill mental health or addiction. Um, And you can call them for free and they can put you in touch with therapists, they can help signpost you, uh, they can give you tips on how to live a better life sort of on the road. Um, 
and all that good stuff. I think that's quite important, having a team of people that understand the music industry, because a lot of people, you can't just go and talk to a normal therapist, because then you've got to explain what the actual music industry does, and they just don't relate. Um, so that's great. And you've also got teams at festivals, right, at Safe Hubs. Yeah, so I think that being sort of from the industry has made like a huge difference because you don't need the background explanation. And I think, you know, people that work in the music industry are three times more likely to experience a mental health issue. Um, so having someone that can relate to that or has been through it is really useful. Doing that during festival season is especially helpful because... You know, touring really takes its toll on you, on you mentally, physically, um, fatigue, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, a, it's a lifestyle as well as a job. And summer festival season as well is extremely difficult. It's pressured, there's time constraints. It's, you know, sort of nonstop moving, living on a bus, different countries, different weather, um, and being able to go backstage at a festival and have a time out um, has proved kind of invaluable. Um, we kind of see on helplines, like there's a, there's a spike after festival season. So mm. even if people don't uh, necessarily have time because they've got a bus call or something, they do phone up afterwards, having seen us there. Now, uh, Liam, talking from kind of experience and connecting to what Cal said, have you come across uh, or been able to make use of helplines like this? Yeah, definitely. Um, so to add a bit of context, I'm somebody who's worked in the industry for quite a long time, kind of from the age of 13, which has been a bit mental over the past few years. Um, and yeah, basically, I think one of the biggest things that we've seen evolution on over the past few years is how many more services there are like this, which is amazing to see, as well as people in general within the industry being more open about all these different things, such as mental health issues and depression, anxiety, etc., um, which is amazing to see because obviously before when it was kind of happening behind closed doors people were more likely to suffer in silence and obviously not speaking out means that it can lead to inevitable things that you know no one wants to go through so having those services there to reach out to obviously just has a great effect on it all obviously we're kind of seeing a bit of a shift in the industry where people are more vocal such as things like this um, obviously various different podcasts and things out there um, so I think just changing the way that people view talking about these things is one of the big steps to get over. So have you worked with any artists who have struggled with their mental health? Um, yeah, so I actually worked very closely with Linkin Park, um, which was a pretty mental thing to be part of. Then obviously after the inevitable of um, Chester obviously taking his own life, it kind of affected me quite personally as well as everyone else within the music industry. Although he's somebody who obviously for many years has written quite dark lyrics in his music, people still didn't think to check up on him, which now in hindsight sounds pretty crazy. Um, so once it happened, um, his wife even shared images of him just a few weeks prior, um, of him looking really happy with his children. And basically, you would have no idea that that's something that was going on internally. Um, so that's kind of one of the biggest things that had a personal effect on me and made me really realize everyone in this industry has probably got something on going on behind closed doors. And basically, you need to be more vocal and talk out and check in on your friends. 
I guess that kind of links to the social media thing about, you know, you can have that, that glistening sheen on the face of everything and assume or, or, you know, rightly or wrongly assume that everything's going okay, but actually what's quite important is just to check in on them anyway. Exactly. I mean, you know, we're all kind of aware now that what you see on social media isn't real life. I think I'd like to think anyway that everyone's kind of aware of that by this point. Um, so, you know, when somebody is having the absolute best time of their life and, you know, posting photos of them in Ibiza and so on, they're probably internally screaming just as much as you are. And I think the social media channels themselves are becoming more aware of that. And obviously there was a, there was a situation quite recently with Instagram where a girl had taken her own life and they'd identified that Instagram had been serving through their algorithms all sorts of like self-harming images and stuff because of, because of the, what she was going out and seeking, it was then serving up these gruesome images and so on. And Instagram ended up getting the blame for it a little bit, which in my opinion isn't quite right, but I think it definitely opened a conversation with the social media channels that they need to take more responsibility. And therefore, you know, we've probably all heard about the fact that Instagram is trialing getting rid of likes and other things like that. I know from um, conversations I'm having with Facebook and Instagram as well, just in general, they're trying to shift those social media channels from you know who's getting the most likes, who's getting the most followers to genuine, meaningful um, reactions and conversations. Like just even small things like they're gonna make the profile picture and name bigger on someone's profile and the followers, et cetera, a lot smaller, just to shift people's focus more to who the person is rather than their clout. Um, so yeah, there's definitely conversations going on within the social media world as well as the music industry world. I know there's quite a few artists in the room now. Um, what would you suggest to manage that and any social media pressures? It's a good question. Um, in, terms of, um, in, in terms of what, sorry, exactly? Um, maybe cutting back hours that you're looking on social media if it's getting too much, blocking certain content. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. Um, I think one of the key things with social media is how you view your own relationship with how you use it. Mm. Um, I actually had a personal experience quite recently where I saw a meme, which is obviously you know, how all of us consume media nowadays. But it was, um, it was something like the moment you stop using social media as a way of just checking up on people's lives and use it as an inspiration tool, you will have a completely different relationship and experience with it. Which sounds kind of obvious when you look at it in hindsight. But if you're following Kim Kardashian and all these famous people who you almost want to be like, Social media is going to be a tool that's telling you, you know, you're not good enough, you need to do better, all these things. But if you're using social media to follow people who genuinely inspire you, it's going to shift. Like, on a personal level, I pretty much only follow, like, art profiles, musicians that I love and completely believe in, um, and completely try and, well, I literally mute, like, all the other stuff that's out there that's just going to affect you negatively. I, I guess then it comes down to mindset in how you're using exactly. it and consuming it. How about, how about you two? Do you have any thoughts on on uh, kind of the usage of social media? Um, I, would, I would, sorry, just like to go back a second. Um, I was at uh, Lincoln Park's last gig as well. Um, at the time I was, I was working as um, a music production journalist uh, and I'm quite close with a lot of, a lot of their crew. Um, and it, it is frightening like what can happen. Like he was, you know, like in good spirits like the week before. Um, he had a very, very close like network of people around him, and I think it was in Birmingham actually the last gig. Um, and I think like the way he was talking to fans and talking about um, you know being positive and you know all of that sort of social media and like hate and trolls and all the things. He was actually very like open about it, and um, 
you know, had some really kind words to say about um, sort of fans in music, like after the Manchester bombing, and it all felt very like lovely and wholesome. Um, and I do think that he had he had a really good support network around him. But sometimes it's very difficult. You know, you can't control exactly like what can happen. Mm. Um, even if even if you're preaching it because you want the best for everyone else, sometimes people just have those kind of demons that are very difficult to navigate. Sometimes it's also the people that you don't expect. A lot of people close it and you just don't realise, so it's definitely important to check in on everyone. Yeah, I think the, the only thing I'd add to that is, uh, well, like you were talking about the spike that you saw with the, with the phone lines and how it kind of peaked after the season. And people kind of hold on to these things. And when they're, like you're saying, they're out in Ibiza, they're living their high life. And quite often it's the low that comes after that. Yeah, it's the, the sort of decompression after tour like there's no you know if, if you're on the road for 10 months of the year um you know you've got that like big hit every night when it's showtime and you're living on a bus and you're in this community you know that's a real like adrenaline rush you spend all day having people you know tell you what time you're doing stuff mm. like feeding you you don't really have to fend for yourself at all like you're almost in like a sort of bubble mm. and then when you come home you know and it you know, you, you're either not fitting in, not connecting with the family that you've been away from, or it's just you and your goldfish, if it's alive. You know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of difficulties um, coming off the road as well. Hmm. I was just going to say, one of the things that has come out of um, countless conversations with musicians, but also um, some research we're doing at the moment, is um, the level of social isolation, uh, which we expected to see more in older people and retired or, or kind of older musicians, um, but it's actually much higher in working musicians. So the kind of, the lack of kind of engagement and people feeling disconnected from uh, friendships, from relationships, um, and even people feeling very lonely at points um, on tour when they, when they leave the, the excess of the kind of, you know, regardless of how many people are there, but you know, mm. you're performing in front and, and there's a buzz in that, but, um, people talking about when they get back to a hotel room or a, you know wherever they're staying on the floor of a van, um, the, the, there's a there's a level of um, kind of loneliness that can be really uh, difficult to manage, and I think that's kind of something that maybe I I overlooked in the past in terms of when we were talking about building services was actually, um, and I think that does tie in with some of the stuff around social media because um, because if you're feeling uh, uh, particularly kind of isolated and uh, disengaged from friendship groups and from people that, um, that can support you, and then you have to have this presence that's not that online and, and, and externally, managing the, the, trying to find balance within that is really difficult, I think, and, uh, mm. and it's definitely come out of uh, research we've done that. Do you find that many freelancers experience loneliness? Yeah, I mean, it's, in, in, it's probably one of the, the biggest um, uh, difficulties that musicians evidence in, in, in research is, um, is loneliness and isolation and kind of um, the, uh, and feeling disconnected. And I think it, it feeds into a wider context of, of imbalance. So mm. um, if you're away, um, like I was saying, for 10 months or 10 weeks or 10 days, um, you're away from the environment that, you've, that you potentially feel safe in, from the people that you potentially feel safe with at times, whilst you might be there with people that you also feel safe with. The, um, the, the, if you don't have a good support network around you in that environment, then it can, it can feel like a bubble, and that's dangerous because, um, because you know, if you, in any other 
um, you know, job that you'd have probably, it's unlikely that you would um, that you would change dramatically in your environment going into an office um, yeah. on the level that you might going on tour. And I think some of those things, or going into a studio for you know, two weeks if you're lucky, um, but, but you know, doing long days. And, and I think there's something about those trying to manage and um, balance lifestyle with some of the things that you're doing that are quite unique. I think that's, that's something that people really find hard to kind of, to, uh, to, to, to sort of level out. Um, I guess coming away from directly from musicians, but thinking about managers and artist uh, agents, um, this kind of ties towards um, burning out. Um, we've all kind of had those, unfortunately, had those moments where we've realised that we've overfaced ourselves a little bit, and we have to take that time out. Lord knows, you know, even here in Birmingham, uh, it's fairly busy, and uh, and that does happen. Um, in terms of, you know, we've identified a bunch of problems, kind of. Um, do we have any ideas or any personal coping strategies that kind of just temper burning out or, or allowing yourself that time to cool down? I know that when I spoke with you, Liam, sorry, Carl, um, you shared your story about burning out. Do you want to maybe talk a bit about that and how you dealt with it to start? Yeah. Um, so my own personal relationship with burning out and mental health within the music industry is the fact that I started working at a major label when I was 19, um, which is kind of pretty young to be working in a world like that and um, essentially the reason why I had such a weird relationship was because I basically come straight from my second year of uni where even by student standards I was a bit of an idiot with all sorts of things going out to God knows when and you know basically just not really looking after myself and especially not looking after my own mental health so to then be suddenly plopped from a small Yorkshire town at university into the major label world it kind of had a really big effect on me where I basically continued to do the things that I was doing, but also had access to a whole new world. And it was like being a kid in, uh, in a candy shop, <laughs> where essentially, you know, you're, you're still like going out and having a good time, but rather than being in these student nightclubs, you're at the Brits and things like that, which, you know, sounds like a brag, but it actually is more so, was quite scary and basically had a big effect on me that I ended up falling into a whole world that was not good for me, basically. And, um, you know, was surrounded by people who weren't the best influencers either. Like a lot of like old heads within the industry who do things a lot more old school. Um, you know, interpret that how you will. Uh, with some of my mentors at the time and basically just took me down an entire journey that was just not good. Um, and then basically going from that back to university, I kind of started to realize quite how toxic it was because suddenly, you know, you weren't going back, going from London in a major label to Huddersfield, the small Yorkshire town, suddenly it wasn't, you know, what do you do? It's again, who are you again? And then um, you slowly realize quite how um, kind of, not meaningless, but like, you know, people don't really care if you're like, oh yeah, I was out with this guy last night down at Shoreditch House. It's like, no one cares. And it yeah. basically <laughs> kind of like bats your ego down a little bit. And um, I'm actually from Stourbridge, which is just outside of Birmingham. Um, and basically it's the same thing going home to that. It's like, People don't really care. They're just mm. kind of like, okay, cool, but how are you? What are you up to? And I think that, that kind of made me realize quite how toxic being in that world of, okay, cool, I don't care what your name is, what do you do? Mm. Um, and it's basically a personal growth thing that I had to go through and that a lot of people have to go through and some, unfortunately some people don't actually ever get there. Um, realizing that that whole world, you know, you're going to be in it because that's kind of what the industry is a little bit like, unfortunately. But you need to learn how to cope with that and basically also learn not to completely just fall into that dark side of it all. 
um, which is a lot easier said than done. And another thing that's a lot easier said than done, but is very important, is to make sure you're surrounded by the right people. Because I think as soon as I found that group of friends who were also in the industry, also had similar experiences to me, had similar aspirations to me, but were very healthy and like both inside and outside, um, basically they kind of had such a positive effect where they made me realize how to do this properly and to do this without going down a road of every single night being like, okay, what events do I need to go to? Mm. And then essentially getting to Friday night and being completely dead because I've been staying out till 4 a.m. at all these different parties trying to meet people and then waking up at 7 a.m. to go to work. You can't do that, basically. It just doesn't happen. So for you, was it a... It sounds like it was a bit of a lifestyle change. Obviously, I imagine there was some kind of coping strategies mentally to go along with that, but did you find that there was food involved? I'm a massive foodie, so anything for me comes from, right, well, what food am I eating? How is that mm -hmm. affecting what I'm doing? Honestly, a big one for me is sleep. Like, obviously, I just touched on that then, like, staying out all night and then getting up super early isn't going to have a good effect on you. I, um, I got to a point where I essentially reversed my sleeping pattern, which is probably the unhealthiest mentally I've ever been, where I was literally no waking, one try that. <laughs> literally, like, waking up at 5 p.m., um, staying up pretty much all night and then going to sleep at like 10 a.m., which sounds bonkers now when I look back on it because how the hell do you do that and sustain that? But somehow I did, and basically it was the darkest place I've ever been in, basically, which sounds obvious. Oh. So now I'm like almost OCD about my sleeping pattern where even if I have had like a night which has gone really late, I'm getting up at absolutely 10, 11 a.m. the latest. And since that and having that schedule and having that routine, really makes you just feel like you're in control a little bit more. Mm. And again, I know it's easier said than done, but just doing small things like that and you know, getting up and making your bed, it just starts the day right. And I know I'm not at all like insinuating that that's a cure for mental health, of course not. Um, but those small changes and those kind of things that give you control of your life and your day, I think can definitely help things along. Can I ask a question? So everyone that's um, enjoying listening to this, Put your hand up if you've ever come across the phrase or used the phrase, never not working. Five? <laughs> Maybe. I, this, to me, is something that is hugely, hugely toxic. And I think is, a, like you're saying, like a stage that you get through. The idea of being awake all night because you're busy working or networking or whatever it is. The never not working mentality for me has been something that I've kind of gone through and feel like I've come out the other side. And I'm able to, as a freelance, at, oh, maybe not always, but around five, six o'clock, go, right, any messages that I get, I'm not going to reply or unless they're urgent until tomorrow because that's what a normal person doing a normal job would do. And at the weekends, maybe it's slightly different if you're looking after an artist and they're playing gigs. I've done that in the past where you end up driving someone down at 11 or midnight on a Friday night when you're meant to be at home having a, your day off. The never not working mentality for me feeds into this negative kind of um, uh, negative spin, I think, that goes with all of it. Kel, what were your experiences with burnout? I'm just gonna, just gonna keep going back to touring because that's like my uh, area of expertise. Um, I think, you know, by and large, like the industry is still very, very, very male. <laughs> um, there are often, you know, huge communication issues because people don't like sharing stuff if they are feeling burnt out because at the end of the day, if, you know, if you're on tour, um, you are a freelancer and you're employed by an artist or by a production company, often what happens is people don't vocalise what's going on because they don't want to be seen as the weakest link in case they don't get booked again for the next tour or in case they have to leave. Um, you know, it's a very close-knit industry and everyone knows everyone. 
Um, and unfortunately, up until maybe like the last sort of two or three years ago, um, it was very stigmatized to say, oh, I can't cope. You know, if you've, if you've chosen a lifestyle like that. Um, and I think that's why charities like Music Support do exist, to help those people, even if it's just, you know, a phone call before bed because you've had a 20-hour working day building a rig somewhere. Um, it, it's important. People burn out all the time. Nutrition is really important. You know, good mood food is a thing. Mm. <laughs> um, it's, you know, things can be put in front of you. I guess it's, it's up to you to kind of check in and, and pay attention to what, you know, your, your body and your mind needs uh, in order to function, you know, as, as safely as possible on tour. And it's a lot harder done than said. What do we think has been the biggest factor in breaking the stigma? about mental health or about talking about it? Are you saying the last couple of years has been kind of a turning point? What do you think, well, it, what do you think it was? I think, unfortunately, like, we have had a lot of deaths. You know, people's heroes, pe you know, Tester Bennington was a lot of people's boss. You know, people, had, people thought they had another three-month tour after that when they went to the US, and they didn't, and they were out of work. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of responsibility in it, and it massively affects people like on a global scale um, when people get so burnt out that they can't cope um, and I think that you know losing very high profile stars has opened up a lot of the conversations but you know behind the scenes those people wouldn't have jobs if there wasn't a crew behind them working very long hours to get the job done. Joe, what would help musicians recommend for coping strategies? Well you, there are there are, fortunately, there are services and there's support and there's kind of listening ear services like Music Supports um, Helpline and uh, Music Minds Matter, uh, where people can um, can can speak to someone about anything that they're experiencing that, that that that's challenging for them. And like Cal was saying, it's not the majority of people who use these services are not using them to access um, psychotherapeutic interventions. Um, and if they if they need that, then they can, but they're using it because they're finding something challenging and actually they don't necessarily have the space where they can communicate with someone or yeah. where, they, where, where they're able to kind of be open about some of the things that they're experiencing. So they're, 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 it's, it's really important that people know that there are services out there that they can use. Um, however minor something may seem, um, it's, the, it's often a combination of lots of things that feel like mm. they're manageable or you can put them to the back of your back of your mind that, um, that can lead to sort of exacerbation and things become more unpredictable and difficult. Um, so I think, and, and I think alongside that, I think one of the things that's really positive about the, um, the opening up of these conversations is that people are talking about it, that people are aware and people are aware of um, the potential challenges that other people might be experiencing and that kind of um, engagement and, and, and generosity between people is maybe something that was um, lacking not for any reason other than the fact that um, that it's that the industry is quite competitive at times and maybe it's not always been um, open to people having those conversations so it's not a simple answer but I would say the best thing that's happened in the last um, three years three to five years has been that people are willing to talk more openly about the things that they're experiencing um, because you know five years ago the charity didn't 
see people mentioning the fact that they uh, were experiencing mental health challenges or that they were experiencing anxiety or stress or anything about those kind of those kind of psychological environmentals. Um, but, but I certainly don't think that that, that wasn't true. That they, I, I think any kind of um, challenge that a musician might experience um, or, or anyone working in this industry um, is, is likely to kind of to be quite impactful because because it's um, because of the freelance nature of a lot of it, the work because you, yeah because people's work is in, uh, insecure and there is a lot of precarity around people's employment and those things are bound to impact on people's ability to to, to feel confident in their in, in their kind of their lives and their, and their well-being. So um, the biggest thing that I've seen alongside investment in support has been people talking to each other and people supporting each other and it needs to go a lot further um, and, and obviously I, I hope that all of the partnerships that we're involved in are trying to kind of promote that in, in, in working together and, 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 and speaking to each other and encouraging people to speak to each other but um, but I think it's, it's going in, a, in, a, in the right direction we're just maybe um, a distance from where we need to be. Where do you see that place being, though? Like, what is the what is the goal? Well, we've just done some uh, um, roundtables, and I, I, I can't talk too much about the outcomes from that because because we're still because uh, I, I don't know them. But, ha <laughs> but having been involved in some of the conversations, one of the one of the things that was really obvious, and I think it's something that music support are doing really well, um, is um, to try and promote um, support groups and, and spaces and peer-to-peer -peer services where people can listen to other people's experiences, where people can kind of engage in conversations with people who, have, who've, who maybe have shared experience and who maybe are, are able to impart things that they found beneficial. Um, because, it's, because it's really important, obviously, that people get um, solid clinical interventions if they need them, if they require them. But there are lots of people who don't necessarily need that. And, there, and, and, it, and if you can have those conversations early enough, um, I think there's a much better chance of, of, of it reducing and uh, the kind of impact of that and it becoming less uh, of, a, of a potential issue later in life. So I think people feeling like they can be open about things that they might just find challenging earlier on is, is, is going gonna, is gonna to really um, shift the focus of where, where people can kind of um, gain value in their relationships. I was just going to add in, I just had a thought, I don't know if you've done this on your roundtables, um, what's the role of help musicians in secondary schools and in primary schools? Is there much of a, of a link there? Uh, we don't have a role. In I mean, and, and it's because, um, we, because our, um, our objects as a charity is boring, we're, uh, we're, we're set up for us to support uh, musicians um, uh, mm. from, uh, from 18 onwards. But that's not to say that actually there isn't a lot of conversations, not just within this charity, but within a lot of our partnerships, about how we ensure that those we're promoting conversations, and we're promote we're trying to promote um, educational establishments, and we're involved with the MU in lots of conversations around this. Um, we're promoting the idea of of these conversations happening earlier, and there are some really good examples of work in this area. There are some, you know, certainly some of the universities are doing some really um, some some brilliant work here, but um, but like I say all of this still feels like we're a long way from where we mm. may need to be. And that's not to mention the fact that most people working in the music industry don't come through formal education routes. Mm -hmm, so, then, so it's not like um, the conservatoires and the universities who put on pop courses, as great as they are, it's not like that's the majority of people working in music. So how you reach people who don't come through those formal channels is, is much more challenging, I think, mm. which is why this is good.
Kel, what are your thoughts on how we can improve supporting music industry professionals? At the moment, it's quite, I don't want to say like an exciting time, but it's an important time because there's a lot of cross-pollination and a lot of conversations going on across different charities. Um, because I think we've reached a point now where um, we've got enough resources, we've got enough trained people, we've got enough um, people that do know about it, that want to volunteer, uh, want to get sort of trained up in their businesses um, or on their tours um, in order for us to have like a, a bigger impact in the next couple of years. Um, again, like... <laughs> can't really like say too much at the moment because I think there's, there's a lot of talks going on but it's going in the right direction it's going it's it's going along a positive path definitely Liam any thoughts I, mean, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think yeah pretty much everything was mainly covered there um mm. I just think oh, I actually want to take a little bit of a step backwards because I, I meant to say um when we were talking about why we think the uh, stigma might have dissipated a little bit um coming from a social media point of view I did actually just want to say that although it's a double-edged sword i do think social media is starting to humanize like celebrities more and starting to make be make people basically realize that these are real people yeah. um because obviously previous to social media stars were just people you'd read about in a magazine or yeah. you know all those sort and see at a show and you second they walk off stage you don't see them again until they're in a music video whereas social media has kind of broken down that um, that curtain so you can see what they're doing at all times, which, you know, you can also argue the opposite way that that can be toxic to the person receiving it. Mm. Um, that, you know, it, it, it has helped humanise it. And I think that is why, is, is another reason why, you know, maybe that stigma's gone away because all that people can be more vocal, like, all the time, like, on Twitter, et cetera, on Instagram stories, you know, you're seeing that they are just a human being and they're not superhuman and therefore... You know, if anything, it almost seems a little bit more attainable than it's ever been before. Um, unfortunately, the exact opposite of that is obviously, it opens a conversation to trolls, like obviously Jesse from Little Mix obviously yeah. released that documentary with BBC mm. quite recently um, about how online trolls have affected her mental health, which, you know, of course is, is, is kind of, um, is awful. Um, but I do think that although there are these negatives and these negative connotations with social media and mental health, there are kind of some positives in that sense. Um, although, obviously, those negatives probably heavily outweigh those positives. I think there is, that is one of the reasons why that stigma might be opening up a little bit more as well. I think the main thing that I have to remember when I look at uh, shiny profiles on Instagram is that every single person posting takes a shit. I just said that in a church. I feel so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and that humanizes them to me. Cool, I think we've got some time for questions, if anyone has any. Hello. Um, so, it can be argued that, like, for artists, as your audience grows, like, the stress and the pressure and the pace at which things happen increases, um, almost like on a graph kind of thing. Um, and, you know, when you have such a big audience like that, do you think an artist has a responsibility to kind of speak out about maybe their own struggle um, that they're having at that, at that time, or like, you know, making people aware what it's like behind the scenes, that kind of, that kind of area, or do you think it's, you know, it's completely a private issue, like it's totally down to them, because you know, they have potentially this, this huge um, influence, you know, over, over their audience, how to, they can make people aware, um, 
you know, they're the, they're the place that people see, the public see, rather they might not know about like institutions like yourself, that kind of thing. So, but you might be involved with them. Cal? Um, I, th I think that was probably entirely down to the individual. I think you could argue that for whatever, whatever they, you know, believe in or are passionate about, whether that's, you know, feminism or veganism or mental health or whatever, I don't think you can expect someone to be open if they are struggling. Uh, I think sometimes it's a, it's a very private battle. Um, you know, Lizzo is probably a really good example of that, like Queen Lizzo. <laughs> um, she's got everything at the moment, it would appear. But then, you know, if she's on a radio show or if she's doing an Instagram story, she very openly cries and she talks about it. And I think if that's the way that she feels more connected with her audience, because she's, you know, almost like the anti-pop star, keeping it so real that she's very vulnerable in front of the people that are buying her records and buying her gig tickets, um, that, you know, that's amazing. She will be helping people do that. Um, but I don't think there's a responsibility to if you, as, as a human, are going through stuff. Yeah, I just remember, like, in school, you know, there was this debate about celebrities, you know, that should they have this kind of responsibility to be, a, like, a fig figurehead to, to people, um, looking up to them always, and then suddenly, I guess that is a pressure in itself. Well, you know? I think Jesse as well. Like, that, that documentary is the most watched documentary now on on BBC Three. Um, obviously, it was, it was shown on the TV again, but it broke records across, you know, a, a station that became an online-only channel. Um, and I think a lot of what she was going through was the fact that she, you know, was, was a kid when she went on a reality show. She wanted to have a job working in music. She didn't want to become a role model. And then she actually couldn't cope with it because she, she had to be perfect for the people looking at her. Or so she thought. And it I broke her. I think one of, the, one of the important things is to remember that, like we were just saying, like, all of these people are human. They're all fallible. They will all make mistakes. But to assume that we have to hold them to a you know, potentially higher account um, it can be sometimes what leads to them, to them breaking. Liam, what do you think? Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, I've always found it, even before these conversations with music industry and mental health, etc., I think the conversation of people having to be a role model because they've essentially gone and achieved what they want to do um, has always been a weird conversation to have because, you know, is there an obligation there as a footballer to be a good role model? I don't know if, on a personal level, I don't know if there's an obligation there. I think, you know, if you have a moral compass, you, should, you can probably figure out that, you know, you probably, if, if you're an artist and your main audience is five to ten-year-olds, you probably shouldn't go doing things that five to ten-year-olds shouldn't be seeing, etc. Um, but yeah, in terms of an obligation, I'm not so sure. Have we got any more questions? Hello. Um, Hi. Just this actually might be more of a question to Kel because you're working music support and touring. Um, I know that the mental health and touring manuals being put together, I think, is being crowdfunded at the moment. When that actually becomes to be fully released, is that something that's going to be available to tour managers, production managers, artists for free, so it can be taken on all tours, or is it something that tour managers or artists or the label would have to actually pay for to be taken on tour? I, I am aware of it. I'm really glad it's being made. Mm -hmm. I'm not directly involved with it, so I don't know if there's a price. Oh, okay. On it. It's, no, no, it's is free. It, is, it, is it a mit, co mit collective? 
thing. I think. So the, yeah. the MMF have a healthy touring guide yeah. and uh, 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 the, the music support and help musicians were involved with and um, amongst others. Sorry, I've forgotten who else was involved in it. Um, <laughs> but the, 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 um, there's, a, there's a number of adaptations of it for different sectors going on at the moment. So it will be available in it and, and, and I hope that it should always be free, certainly at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it, it would be useful if it was free. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. Well, at least as a resource for anyone who's uh, embarking on some, some tours over the next couple of years. Yeah, like there's, there's a big push at the moment for mental health first aid training. Um, but obviously these, these are courses that people have to come and deliver. Um, they're not free, but the, there's a lot of um, organisations that you can become a part of that will, you know, help fund them as much as possible um and i think if you can find out you know in in your sector what what would be accessible to you then i would definitely recommend doing that yeah i'd say don't be shy either about asking um just a very quick question because i know we're running out of time um in most workplaces there's legislation that protects workers um do you feel that issues around mental health should become more legislative legislative uh, in the music industries they currently are Bearing in mind that a number of people that work in them are freelance, so aren't employed by somebody, but I think even when you're freelance and you're working within an organisation, do you think that organisation has a duty of care and there should be some form of legislation that would enable people to be protected? Um, I think the problem is um, is definitely that that isn't being uh, translated. But it, but it, but it is, and, and it is a massive issue that people are often working alone, going into venues potentially anywhere in the world, and the, and the kind of that engagement and that interaction is, is is more challenging than someone who has a employment contract that's very structured. But there is a duty of care there. It should, there should be. Um, there is legislation there that says that people should feel supported, that people shouldn't experience um, lots of the things that they experience. That I hear them having to experience going into these environments. Um, and I think um, th there is some work going on at the moment that the, and the MU are involved in quite a lot of um, uh, work there. And we've, we're, we're um, specifically looking at hearing health at the moment and some of the challenges around um, the, the kind of, the, well, hearing conservation for musicians, which is a bit dry, but the actual, the, actual um, the reality is really quite stark. And I think it's probably an example of where, um, whilst there is legislation in place, in place and actually venues do have, uh, you know, the, and, and, and it's not, this isn't me bashing venues because I can understand why, um, the, 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 it isn't translating to actual, actual kind of promotion of well-being and musicians feeling and engineers feeling empowered and, and feeling comfortable in that environment. So that's a really roundabout way of saying I agree with you, but actually there is stuff, there is legislation in place, it's just not necessarily being promoted and supported in the right way and people maybe aren't aware of it mm, definitely implementation is the issue isn't it i think mm. that's the it's a, and it's a massive issue that's not to to underestimate the challenge of that but it's but, but it's the implementation of those things um and and again like talking about positives there are some really good examples where it where it's working beginning to work really well but uh, but it's it's complicated by the sector being so fragmented and people going into potentially a different place every day in their as their workplace and, and working with interacting with different people on a daily basis that's 
probably maybe actors as well maybe experience but it's very it's pretty unique to the music industry that, that that's an environment for someone uh, for, uh, for where someone is employed you know it's, it's, it's that's a real challenge Kel Liam anything I think, oh I think ideally like you know someone in every sort of service company or every tour would be trained um, the, the problem is when you know you say tour that could be three guys in a splitter van mm. it could be 15 tour buses you know if you can afford it the likelihood is you know you've got everyone and your accountant on tour or you've got three people really stressed out doing three jobs over you know 10 days and they're still in the industry you know it's it is difficult it's really difficult to implement because it's it is so varied Okay, I think we've got time for one more question. Hi. Um, my question kind of follows on from what you were just saying. So I think everyone in the music industry pretty much solely is, are all freelancers. A lot of people are freelancing, which means that you might be heavily invested in your own time, very independently, growing a project from small to big, or you spend a small amount of time in it or a large amount of time. Um, and then at the end of that cycle, I guess, like it could be a tour, it could be a, an album campaign if you're a manager or an artist if it's an album campaign or whatever. Do you have any top tips for um, kind of coping with, uh, yeah, leveling out? And not, that doesn't necessarily mean stopping. It might just mean doing something slightly different that might be, feel like, maybe it feels like you're starting again or maybe it feels like you're taking a step backwards or a step down perhaps. But I think it's something that's quite important to address that, like, just because you're, like, you're not off tour, you might be doing, like I said, like, some tours are 15 tour buses, some tours are three people in a van, like, you, but you're still doing, you might be still be doing just about as, as much work, but might not be getting perhaps compensated financially or, you know, in any other way for that. Do you have any tips for maybe anybody in this room who uh, has a lot of experience with that? Kind of, you know, again, coming at it from a social media point of view, in terms of the, you know, being on and off work, I mean, obviously, we all know that being on social media, and especially as an artist, you kind of always have to be there, um, which is kind of a pain. Um, but there are some artists that I personally work with who literally almost treat it like a job. And yeah, they do obviously have the luxury of the fact they've almost, to, to an extent, they've kind of already at a certain level. Um, but they literally will set a time where it's like you kind of can't contact me between these times and then tomorrow we'll pick it up or if they go on holiday they're on holiday mm. and they treat that very very seriously which which i think is actually really grown up and quite great to see i think um you know there are certain cliches within the industry that you know you, you you're always working like the point that you said um so to be able to kind of put your foot down and say you know i'm treating this more as a proper full-time job and Therefore, what I'm working between these hours, and I'm not doing it this time. Yeah, obviously, if, I don't know, your song got played on Love Island, you probably can jump in then. But kind of just looking at things and looking at how, what effect they will have on you internally is really important. So what about the people who might not have the luxury to be able to put it down and it keep moving? You know, if you're, if you're in the beginning steps of your career, in any, any role in the music industry, you might feel like if you're interning somewhere, you've got to do that bit extra. There's always that pressure to, like you said, like, you're like, oh, I can't be the weakest link. I've got to be the person who delivers more than anybody else. Otherwise, I'm going to get replaced. So I totally agree with you that it's great to be able to treat something as an on and off job. But what about the people who can't treat it as like that because they feel the need? Or they might actually, to actually get themselves into the career they want to be in, like they then have to actually do that or may, might feel they do at least 
to actually get themselves where they want to be? You know, is there any advice for coping with that? I'm not saying that they, you know, it's like, it's definitely important to take time off, but if you can't actually afford to take that time off in that sector in your career, then, you know, any advice on that would, I think, um, most people I would appreciate. try very hard to implement some self-care. Yeah. Um, self-care is not selfish. Self-care is necessary. It's as necessary as putting some clothes on so that you can start your day. Like, look after yourself as best you can. If you want to go for a walk, practice mindfulness, start yoga, you know, anywhere that you are, whether it's, you know, a tiny venue or an artist office, you can, like, take space and take time out and just say, I need 20 minutes to just cope with this. Like, that's not a selfish thing to do. You can't pressure yourself to the point where you burn out before your career's really taken off. That's why so many people are in this situation. I absolutely second that. So much of it is about valuing yourself, or whoever, whoever needs to hear it, is valuing yourself and believing that you, you deserve to have that time off. The amount of people that I know, this, even just this summer, who have gone on holiday and networked the heck out of them being on holiday, They've gone out and they've gone out to uh, LA or to wherever in America, and they've been busy doing this and busy doing that and meetings, meeting meetings. Like you're there on holiday, like you're there to switch off. Just do it. I'm 20, nearly 28, and it was only I think two years ago was the first time uh, that I took a holiday as an adult and switched everything off, and and switched off and and didn't look at it. And yeah, I had you know a thousand emails when I came back, but boy, did I need that. And I think there is value in understanding that and, and appreciating that. Like, the work's going to be there when you come back. There will always be an, an audience there. The idea that you need to maintain your, your, your viewership or your followers, you know, all of your, um, your following, like, they will be there. And they will be thankful that you've had a break and you've refreshed yourself. I was, I was going to say, um, there's a... There's a, there's a conception that um that that working that you you work all the hours you possibly can at the beginning of your career and it'll pay off um and i think there are elements of that i can't that are actually a misconception because um because what you end up with is what we see a lot now which is burnout which is people who are experiencing really difficult um challenging times in their mid-20s or in their 30s or in their you know at any time um and and i think uh, it's true that you have to work hard and you definitely have to work hard at the beginning of your career but from the perspective of having spoken to maybe two or three thousand musicians over the time that I've been working for the charity um, I would say that you should always always be able to, to switch off you should always and you should find a way and self-care and finding ways of managing that is, is about every individual and, and, and I think musicians and people working in this industry are unfortunate that they don't have some of the, the structures that might be in place in, in, a, in a, a, a HR capacity in an organization and there are things that people turn their noses up at but I've heard people talking about how they've, you, they've looked at business structure and looked at how um, businesses support individuals and they looked at like values structures and they've built their own values structure around what they expect from the people that they work with and what 
um, what people can expect from them and where the boundaries are of that. And that's something that's actually really commonplace in most people's working lives because it's just it's something you have to go through and sometimes it seems tedious. But actually, I think there's, there's real value in looking at, um, looking at kind of models that work and structures that work to ensure that you keep, that you keep your boundaries. And again, coming back to balance, it's like it's all, it should always be about find, ensuring that you kind of keep a balance between your personal experiences, your personal life, the things that you enjoy, the things that make you feel fulfilled, which I hope music is a big part of. Um, and music should be part of your well-being. It should be part of your a process that actually feels positive uh, versus you know, your working life, which is something that can also be positive, but also you have to kind of keep those boundaries in place for it not to become something that stops you from loving your art and loving the things that you enjoy in your personal life as well. I feel like that's uh, almost a good place to, to come to a close. Um, have you guys got any um, final little sign-offs or what you guys are up to, what your organisations are doing? I would just suggest um, that you should look up a website called the Torchlight System. Um, and they give sort of practice and mindfulness cards. So it's like a deck of cards that you can just put in your pocket, take with you everywhere. Um, and, you know, if... In normal everyday life, if you'd go home, have a cup of tea, watch an episode or something, if you're not in a position to do that, take a card out and it's just going to remind you to take 10 minutes for yourself and they're very useful, I think. It's like having a therapist, like a mini pocket Buddha. <laughs> Considering what, we've, uh, what I've talked about before, I think I would just encourage everyone to, to try and find um, a network of people that you feel comfortable talking to about your experiences and that you feel that you that you feel value in the kind of in, in those relationships and build those relationships because they're 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 important anyway but they become incredibly important when things get difficult the note i'd like to end on is just to kind of say to all the people who work in the industry to remember that we kind of have a responsibility to look after musicians out there basically obviously um, services like this exist which are amazing but on a just person to person level remember that those people have their own lives and you know are people at the end of the day so you know it might be re it might be as though you know there's that extra radio show that you can get in you want to push your artist or you as the artist want to push yourself to go and do it but just stop sometimes and look at it and go is this going to have a negative effect on me internally and so if the answer to that is yes then it's not worth it thank you thank you once again um for for coming along all of you and can we give it up for our panelists please Thank you. Huge thanks to everyone that came along, especially to our panellists, uh, Liam James Ward from B Hook Digital, uh, from Joe Hastings from Help Musicians UK. Thanks to Kel Murray from Music Support. Thanks to Chris and the team at Pivotal for having us along for this panel. We'll be back every month with a new episode. You can keep up to date with us on our socials at Versus Podcast underscore on Twitter and Instagram and at Versus Podcast one on Facebook. <laughs>